please, as we go to the word of the Lord in our Sunday school lesson, thank you, musicians and singers. Good to see everyone in God's house this evening. Amen. We're going to wrap up our our lessons on strategies for spiritual success today. I hope that over the last two weeks you have you have listened and perhaps taken something that I have conveyed into your spirit and have applied it to your life. Going to Joshua 1 verse 8 and Philippians 2 and 12, Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Philippians 2 and 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Strategies for spiritual success. Lord bless you as you're seated this evening. As a way of reminder, it's imperative if we're going to be who God has purposed us and designed us to be, that we take strategic steps towards achieving a greater spiritual identity. You say, preacher, you've already said this before. One thing that I've learned is that the greatest way to gain knowledge and to learn something is by repetition. So, I am reminding you today of some things because I want it to take root in your heart. The first thing you got to do is you got to discover your purpose. When you discover your purpose, then you can set your course and you have an objective. Then you got to accept personal responsibility. Thirdly, you have to take spiritual authority. And fourthly, you have to seek divine favor. But I'm going to I'm going to conclude by visiting a couple more today that will wrap up strategies for spiritual success. The next thing that you have to do is you have to be willing to learn from pain. James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, I will admit to you that this is one of the most difficult passages in the Word of God to live out. It's easy to read, but it's a whole lot harder to live. If we interpret this correctly, it said when you fall into diverse temptations, that's simply meaning trials difficulties, struggles, not necessarily meaning a temptation to sin. It's just trials that you will go through in life. And and James says, count it all joy when you go into those seasons. This goes against the very nature of humanity because I don't know any person that loves to go through a difficult season of life. I don't know anybody that lost their job and walked out the door shouting and rejoicing. 
or anybody that got sick and said, thank you, Jesus, that I'm so sick I can't even see straight. Not me. If you do, you're a little more spiritual, and I applaud you. I'm still working to live out this passage of Scripture. No, we, we don't do that. The struggles we go through do not bring joy to our flesh. But the only way Joseph could ever fulfill his purpose was he had to spend time in a jail cell. And I bet when he was living, waking up every day and he was going, God, what in the world does this have to do with with who I am and what you want me to do? Because the Bible says now we see through a glass darkly. There will come a day when that veil is removed and we can see as God sees and everything will make sense. Joseph couldn't see all that. Every day he was waking up in that cell, he was reminded that his life was seemingly useless and it was void of purpose. One thing I know is the cell prepared him for his future. And those seasons of life that we don't like, those situations that we want to avoid at all costs, those are necessary to develop us for something ahead on the journey. Suffering produces growth. Suffering produces growth. Most people try to spend their life avoiding pain. And the physical and in the spiritual. Nobody likes pain. I remember when I was in I was in, in junior high, I believe it was junior high, they had a game. They called it a game. I didn't think it was much of a game. It was called Bloody Knuckles. And we'd sit there across the table from each other, and they'd put a quarter to spinning, and you took your knuckles and you ran them as hard as you could that quarter into the other knuckles across from you to see if you could make them bleed. It didn't take me real long to figure out that this wasn't a fun game. I, when I think of the word game, I think of fun, not pain. So I, I pulled myself out of that game pretty quick. Nobody likes pain. In fact, Some people, some Christians have gravitated to the ideology that God wants each of us to experience a pain-free life. Oh, you come live for God. You'll live the blessed life. You'll hear the phrase, the blessed life is the best life. Let Let me let you in a little secret. When you get the Holy Ghost and you make up your mind to live for God, you don't get a get out of trial free card. You're not exempt from the realities of life. Jesus, if there was ever any person that deserved to be exempt from hardship, it would have been Jesus. He was God. He knew no sin. He he didn't have to reap the consequences of sin. But even Jesus had to go through pain. We've got this wrong concept of what blessed is. Blessed is not how big a bank account is. It's not how big a home is or how nice of a car or clothes or you go on down the list. 
That's not what blessed is. That's what the world will call blessed. But if that is the standard whereby we measure the blessing of God, then that means John the Baptist wasn't blessed. That means Paul wasn't blessed and John the Revelator wasn't blessed and Jesus wasn't blessed. So so that's not what God calls blessed. In fact, if you look at the early church, the apostles, most of which were, were, were executed, they were martyrs for the gospel's sake, it would, it would put most of us to shame if we had to stand next to some of these. We're living in a day when feeling better has become more important than finding God. Because now we're living in a day where the Bible says that they would want, uh, there would be men with itching ears. Tell me something that makes me feel good. Tell me something that won't convict me. Tell me something that will make me, pat me on the back and send me on my way. Feeling better has become more important than finding God. But contrary to what we may think, there is no spiritual progress without difficulty. If I look at my own life, I've even alluded and shared some of my testimony. 2018 was the worst year of my life. Every time there was transition in the spirit in my life, it was preceded by some of the most difficult seasons that I ever went through. Because suffering produces growth. It forces you to grow. Pain motivates change. Only present discomfort can drive you to seek a better future. 2 Kings chapter 4 is the story about the four lepers that are sitting at the gate. And they've, they've said this one statement has been preached Dissected time and time again. This is what they said. Why sit we here till we die? They knew what that life held. They knew what that situation was like. They, had, they were used to sitting at the gate and, 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 and going through the rituals and saying unclean and not being accepted by society. But they got so fed up with that life that finally they said, why, why are we going to sit here till we die? We know what our demise is right here. We know this lifestyle right here. Could it be that there's something better if we would just get up and go? And you know, as they went, the Lord magnified the sounds. They got there. They was able to eat. There was something better waiting on them. But it finally took being tired of their current situation to motivate them to move. The reason some people haven't done anything about their spiritual life yet is because they haven't become uncomfortable enough where they are. You keep living, God has a way of letting you get uncomfortable. God cares more about your salvation than he does your emotions. If it took me hating a season of life that I was in, but it resulted in me being saved, I'll do it. Because I'd rather be saved than be happy all the time. I'd rather be saved. I'd rather be saved than have a bunch of money in the bank. Rather be saved than have a nice house and nice cars. All that stuff's going to burn up. But if you're saved, you go through those seasons of life. People spend time praying for God to do something about it. God changed my situation. God changed this. God changed this. And the whole time is God saying, hold up. Why don't you change what you're doing? We want God to change it, but we don't want to change it. We want God to do something, but we're not willing to do something. 
The only way that, that change is going to happen, yes, God will work with you, but you've got to take the initiative and say, I'm tired of being in this situation. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of staying exactly where I'm at. And when you put forth the effort, then God will match it. C.S. Lewis once said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Nothing gets your attention like a situation you don't have the answer for. Nothing makes you pray like a season of life that you can't control. Because we're control addicts by nature. We like to be in control. We like to tell people what to do. You can always tell who's not in control of their house. Well, I got y'all's attention now. I'm not going to tell you the secret. I'm going to let you think about that one. I, I've learned along the way to, 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 to look and examine and, and put the pieces together of, of relationships and situations. There's some people that they're literally miserable if they're not controlling everything. They just they, they don't know how to be Indian. They just love being chief. Now, I got y'all thinking about different people. I'm not naming anybody. But when you enter into a season where God's trying to make you grow, it's normally a season that you cannot control. You got to take your hands off. Say, God, I, I've tried everything I can. And I've also found out if I try to leave my hands on it, that it's going to get worse. And I'm going to wish, Lord, I'm sorry. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Wish I wouldn't have said that. See, everything, every way we pray is tempered by how we want the circumstance to end. We pray, in our, and I'm talking about when you pray in your native tongue, which is English. Your prayers are tempered by your wants, your desires, your past experiences, etc., etc., that's why the only unbiased way to pray is in the Holy Ghost because the Spirit will pray according to the will of God for you. We don't know how to pray unbiased prayers in English because we pray, God, get me out of this, and God's saying, hold up, I want you to get something out of this. We pray, God, stop the pain, and God's saying, I can't stop the pain until you change. See, in the Old, in, 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 in the old Testament and over Middle East, they had what they were called pressers of grapes. And it was literally a big vat filled with grapes or olives. And it had a bar that stuck, stuck out halfway. And they would literally, they would hang on that bar and it's, they would walk around that whole vat just doing circles. And they would put enough pressure to break the skin but not crush the seed. Because on those olives, if they would crush the seed, it would become bitter. And what God does through trials is he puts enough pressure to, to break 
your will without crushing your spirit. Because if he crushes your spirit, you'll become bitter. So situations come and pressure comes just to, just to show you, hey, you don't have all the answers. You can't do it. And there's some people that will run from pain or they're going to learn from pain. Either you're going to spend your life running because you can't figure out how a God that's supposed to love you can hurt you so bad, or you're going to surrender your will and say, God, I know you're trying to do something in me. I just don't know what it is. See, hardship improves character. You learn best when you suffer most. See, Jesus was fully man, and he had to control his flesh just like everybody in this room did here. He was fully man, and he was fully God. But watch this. Hebrews 5 and 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Hold on now. We're talking about God robed in flesh, yet because he was robed in flesh, that means he was not exempt from difficulty, and he had to get his flesh under control. How did he learn obedience? How did he learn to submit to the will of God? Through suffering, through hardship. The suffering he went through taught him how to stay submitted and obedient. He could have never been submitted at Golgotha and at Gethsemane had he not learned how to be obedient throughout his life through suffering. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. The only way the clay pot can ever be transformed is it has to go through something that will purge it and make it harder. And the only way we can become what God wants us to become is you got to go through the trial. you got to go through the situation. Suffering will also bind you closer to Christ. He wasn't just a man of power and miracles. But if we look closer, we see Jesus going through a lot of suffering for the kingdom's sake. It was Isaiah that described Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. One thing that you'll find is you will meet Jesus in your sorrow. We want to meet Jesus on the mountaintop. That's not where you meet him. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet thou art with me. He didn't say I'm going to see Jesus on the God on the mountain. He said, I'm going to find that God's with me the most when I need it the most through the valley of the shadow of death. Paul writes in Philippians 3 and 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but where we struggle in knowing God is in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's where we, that's where we really struggle with trying to know God is because we somehow get our minds messed up when life throws us a curveball and pain accompanies us, we have a hard time saying, thank you, Jesus, for this. Thank you for this pain. Thank you for this heartache. Thank you for this situation I can't control. We have a hard time with that. But that's where you find God. On a wall in his bedroom, Charles Spurgeon had a plaque with Isaiah 48 and 10 on it, which says, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. 
It's no mean thing to be chosen of God, he wrote. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We are chosen not in the palace but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred. Fashion is destroyed. Strength is melted. Glory is consumed. Yet here, eternal love reveals its secrets secrets, and declares its choice. So we have two options. We can run from our pain or we can learn from our pain. Either we can spend our life with a distorted view of who God is and we can view God as nothing more than an angry tyrant who sends displeasure upon us when we really desired beauty and happiness. Or we can see a God who is using pain to develop something greater within us. Who was using hardship to teach us some things. Just as he did Jesus Christ. So you got to learn from your pain. The second strategy for today, and the one that I'll close with, actually not yet, is you got to practice strategic thinking. Now, Dr. Hughes said it so eloquently and powerfully Wednesday night. There are some things that the Holy Ghost will not do. You got to do them for yourself. The Holy Ghost will not force you to change your behavior. It will help you change your behavior. But there are some things that we have to do for ourselves. God gave you a brain. God gave you the ability to use wisdom. God gave you the ability to think things out and make practical decisions. And so if you want to, if you want to grow in God, it involves a willingness on our part to take those proper steps to achieve spiritual greatness. Watch this. God is a strategic planner. If you go to Acts 1 and 8, notice how God joined the spirit with the practical. He said, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's the Spirit's part. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This was the strategy. First, you're going to be witnesses locally, Jerusalem. Then he said you're going to go into Judea, which would be like Catahoula Parish, a little bit bigger. Then Samaria which was bigger and it encompassed more territory. And then he said the uttermost part of the earth. Now, he knew good and well. At that time, the disciples could only reach a limited number. The uttermost part of the earth was 2,000 years later when he saw it reaching all the way to Wallace Ridge. He had a strategy. We're going to start here, and as, as I pour out my spirit, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. God had a strategy. If you, as a Christian, do not plan your time, other people will plan it for you. There's been days that I started out with the best of intentions. And I, went, I laid my head on my pillow that night, and I looked back and I said, I didn't do a single thing that I thought I was going to get done today. You ever had those days? I mean, I woke up and I was I was ripping and roaring and I was ready to go. And all it takes is one or two phone calls and you you detour. 
If you don't plan your time, other people will plan it for you. There's five steps that I want to talk about. I got 25 more minutes. That's not to scare you. That's to let you know I know where I'm at. Five steps that if you'll take towards developing a strategic plan. I'm a practical guy. There's, when I pray, I always set a timer. I'm not saying you've got to set a timer. That's just me. If I'm going to read a book for 20 minutes, that's not about God. Then I want to read a book for 20 minutes, that's about God. I set a timer. Because I don't want to give more towards pleasure than I do towards God. And, and that's, just, that's just how my brain is wired. I'm not saying you've got to have a timer with you. That's just what I do. First thing you got to do is you got to define your goal. This is a more detailed than defining your purpose. If you want to if you want to pray 30 minutes a day and you're only used to praying 5, don't start praying 30 minutes cuz you're going to get disheartened. You're going to run out of things to say in 10 minutes. You're going to be repeating. Pray 7. The next week pray 10. The next week pray 15. And you get to where you could pray 30 minutes. Or if you're used to praying 30 and you want to pray an hour, pray 35. It's about being practical. Don't be a bottle rocket and shoot up real high on Monday and then you're down fizzling by Thursday. Be consistent with it. Achievable. If you want to teach 10 Bible studies, start with teaching one. Then teach three. And then teach, don't, don't say... If I don't have 10 Bible studies by the end of this week, I'm not going to teach a Bible study. You know what? Good chance you ain't teach a Bible study. But if you say, I would like to teach one Bible study this week, that's very doable. Define your goal. What is, what is it that you want to, if you want to give X amount of dollars? When my wife and I started evangelizing, God put a burden in my heart for missions. And I said, Lord, I would love to support X amount of dollars per month towards missions. As an evangelist, I mean, $50 a month, that was, that was massive. But you know where I started? I started with $50 a month. This was my goal. This is what I wanted. This was, Lord, if I reach this number, it's only going to be by your help. And I did it a little bit at a time over the years until I finally hit that number. Now, if I'd have said, if I want to do this by the end of year one, I'd have gave up because you couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But if you do a little bit at a time, you can get to that. It's about defining a goal and working towards that goal. If you want to lose weight, you don't say, I want to lose 30 pounds by the end of the week. You say, I'll be happy if I lose a pound by the end of the week. That's a success for me. You start little. Then you set your priorities. Don't choose what you will do. First, choose what you won't do. Because when you choose what you won't do, you'll end up doing what you want to. Follow me? By saying no to pleasure, you'll say yes to spiritual matters. Choose what you won't do. Thirdly, you've got to organize your time and your energy. Time is the most valuable resource because once you spend it, You'll never get it back. Never. You can get money back. You can get material possessions back. But you can never, ever 
get the time spent back. That's why Psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Because when you understand, hey, I've only got this amount of time to get things right, you'll take it serious. Then you've got to determine your method of measurement. How, how can I measure? When, 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 I was, when I was, a few years ago, I got in this, in this weight loss kick and was trying to exercise a little bit, lose a little weight, and, and cut back on Pepsis and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that I learned about healthy people and unhealthy people, though, is that they all die. Just some enjoyed the food better than the others. But anyhow, I had to figure out this is how I achieve and this is how I measure my weight loss. I, I use one set, one standard to measure myself by, okay? And, and once I define that standard, like, for instance, to measure my weight loss, I use my scale. My scale. The same scale. Use my standard. Because there were times I'd be at somebody else's house and I used their standard or their scale and it was different. Normally it was higher than my scale. See, where you mess up is where you define how well you're doing by somebody else's standard. You don't measure yourself by somebody else's standard. You measure yourself by a standard you established. You look back over the week and say, okay, did I pray my extra five minutes that I was wanting to pray? You have those definitive standards. And don't let somebody else's standard mess with you. They're running their race. They're living for God their own way. You, Lord, this is between me and you. I'm going to read one extra chapter a day. And, and, and look back over the week. And you measure yourself by the standard you established. And, and, and don't let other people's opinions mess with you. See, there's joy when you see growth. It didn't matter if that scale went down a half a pound. It brought a delight to my soul. The joy comes about because you had a plan and you stuck with it. Now watch this. If you have a plan, the plan brings joy when you see success. Okay, let me explain this. I'm going to use a low number, okay? Say 175 pounds. Okay. One number can bring grief and it can bring joy but it all depends on whether or not you have a plan. Now, if you see that number and you were used to being 165 pounds and you see that number on a scale, it'll bring grief unless you're trying to gain weight. It'll, it'll upset you. It'll mess with your mind because you didn't have a plan and you're on your way up. I passed it like in sixth grade. Some of you may not have even hit it yet. But if you start a plan to take small steps to lose weight 
And you see that same number on the scale that once brought so much grief to you, it'll now bring joy to you. You know why? You had a plan. You had a plan. A plan can change everything in your life. Some people pray 30 minutes by accident, and some pray 30 minutes on purpose. The difference is one had a plan. I'd rather pray 30 minutes by uh, with a plan than 45 minutes once a week by accident. You've got a plan. Something to be said for having a plan and sticking with it. Remember, the power of words in your life. Because the way people talk to others is also how they talk to themselves in here. And people that are always negative out of here are always negative up here. Out of the abundance of the heart. It's, the mouth is simply the overflow of what you're already dealing with on the inside. It simply reveals. And people who are always speaking negative or down out of their mouth, that's, an, that's just excess of what they're already doing inside. They're speaking so negative about themselves and to themselves. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words often determine your works. If you say you can, you can. I used to have a boss when I was a teenager. I'd say, I can't do this. And he'd just look at me and so can't. He'd say, can't never could do nothing. That's all he'd ever say. I'm like, that don't help me at all. I just told you I can't do it. Can't never do. Can't never could do nothing. All the time. But it taught me that you can do it. It's just how bad you want to do it. If you want to live for God, you can live for God. How bad do you want to live for God? You can't rely upon other people's words to become the motivator. There's some people that if they don't get a pat on the back every all the time, I'm not talking about anybody in here. I'm talking about other churches I've visited before. If, if they don't get a pat on the back all the time, they're just so low, you, can, you just barely get them to the altar. As much as I love patting people on the back, and some of you have already figured that out, I just I love patting people on the back. I can't, I can't encourage every single person all the time because I'm not with you on Tuesday. I'm not with you on Friday morning. That's when it takes you and the Lord to pray and to live for God. Now, I know I've been teaching some pretty basic, basic stuff for the past three weeks, but you know what? It take, If you don't get the basics down, in living for God, Paul said we gotta we gotta have some milk before we can have some meat. There's some people get they're choking on meat because they never learned to develop with milk. It ought not be that that we question whether or not I could pray five minutes. What 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 I've learned about people is that they'll binge watch a whole season and spend 10 hours watching something, but they can't even read a chapter in their Bible or pray five minutes. Sounds to me like a heart issue because what you set before your eyes is a good indicator of what where the heart's at. There's some people that can't even name the disciples, but they can tell you what happened in every season of such and such. 
They can't even tell you the books of the Bible or how many's in them. But they can tell you what happened last week on such and such. Now, I'm just giving you something to chew on a little bit. And maybe something I say will prompt you to say, you know what? Maybe instead of watching 10 hours, I'll watch nine and I'll give an hour to God. Starts by just making a goal and doing and just sticking to it. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Because the ultimate goal is completing the journey. Sister Mangan says it all the time. I can't hear well done unless I do well. You can't hear well done unless you take strategic steps that I want to do well in living for God. I can't account for Brother Spanky or Brother Lloyd, Brother James. I, I can't account for none of these men. I can't live their walk. I can't walk their walk. and I can't. But you know what I can do? I can take care of me. You can take care of you. You can make decisions because the ultimate goal is I want to finish this thing. October 20th, 1968, the Olympics was in Mexico City. The Olympic marathon would see 74 participants from 41 nations. and They would race this marathon was a 26.2-mile course that they were going to run. As the race began, the high altitude proved to be challenging for many of the participants. As they approached mile 12, some of the runners began to jostle for position, which caused a man named John Stephen Aquari, the lone runner from Tanzania, to be pushed to the ground, dislocating his knee. Everyone expected him to abandon the race due to his injury. However, there was something inside a quarry that would not quit. And if you're ever interested, you can go look at it on YouTube because it's a remarkable, remarkable ending. By 625, the stadium was nearly empty. He was a, a, a good hour and some minutes after the runners crossed. They had already handed out the medals. A lot of the people already went home. The national anthem was already played. But here comes a quarry. He'd walk a little bit into the stadium. Then he'd kind of run a little bit. He'd walk a little bit. His knee was all taped up. He'd run a little bit. Finally, the people that were still in the stands began to clap and began to cheer. And the medical staff was waiting for him once he crossed the finish line. And he finished that race. When someone asked him later on why he chose to fight through the pain and to finish that race, this is what he said. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. My friend, Jesus didn't go to Calvary and give his spirit just for you to start the race. But everything that he gave was he wants to see you finish this thing. He wants to tell you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I know you may have fallen down and you may have hobbled along the way, but if you can finish what you started, you don't get joy from starting a project. You get joy from finishing the project. And God does not get the joy from just giving you the Holy Ghost the first time. Where God gets the joy 
is seeing you through all your trials, all of your mistakes, all of your pain, and sees you cross to the other side. That's why the Bible says, precious are the passing of the saints in the eyes of Almighty God. It's not that God delights in taking people from heaven, but what God delights, or from, from this earth, but he delights in, 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 in giving someone the reward that they earned along the way. Paul said in Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident today that everyone in this room has the potential and the same opportunity to make it to heaven. Everybody does. But we're the ones who determine how close will I be to the Lord. Do you realize that your entire spiritual growth God left into your hands. He never told you that there was a cap on how long you could pray. He never said there was a maximum on how many days you could fast or how much of his word you could read. You can do whatever you want to do because nobody will ever be able to stand before God and say, I didn't have the same opportunity that somebody else had. God gives everybody the same opportunity. Strategies for spiritual success. Discover your purpose. Accept personal responsibility. Take spiritual authority. Seek divine favor. Learn from pain. Practice strategic thinking. And complete the journey. Each one in itself builds upon the next step. And when you finally get to the end, you'll hear the words, well done, Thou good and faithful servant. Stand with me, please, as we conclude our Sunday school lesson this evening. Would you lift your hands all over the building? Let's talk to the Lord for a moment. Lord, I thank you for...